0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Have you, church, listen, have you ever been making a point or in a conversation trying to make a point only to be sidetracked by needing to explain the point you're trying to make you you understand now now listen listen i'm not talking about um you're you're being sidetracked you're explaining something and then you have the squirrel moment right you're like up squirrel i'm not talking about that okay that's that's different. Here's what I'm talking. I'm talking about you're trying to communicate something to somebody. You realize the weightiness of what you're trying to communicate. And so you need to back up just a moment and, and kind of give the background, if you will, kind of go back and, and oh wait, hold on in order for you to feel the weight of this. A lot of that happens when you're talking to somebody and you can see the, the way your tone is or you can see how they're receiving it in their eyes. You can see how they're receiving what you're saying, oh okay, wait a minute. This is a little bit too weighty, this is a little bit too hard. Hold on. Let me back up just a minute. Let me let me let me sidetrack and, and kind of explain what I mean. We've all done that, right? As a matter of fact, I mean, when you think about it, there are times when you say, oh, well, I'm currently waiting for, or I'm doing something, and then you're like, oh, they don't really understand. And then you have to go back and and kind of give them the backstory so they fully get the full understanding. If you're taking notes, biblically, it's called a parenthesis or parenthetical verses, if you will. It's a time when you stop, you pause, and you give these parenthetical verses and and again it's um it's usually um a word, if you will, sometimes, maybe not complete verses, maybe it's just a sentence or a clause that you insert to explain or an afterthought into a passage that's grammatically complete without it. You understand that, so you're going, hmm, hmm that Happens biblically. Just so I can give you an illustration, that happens a lot in the book of Revelation. You see, when we study the book of Revelation, we're reminded that we have to really dig deep in and do an exposition of the text. Why? Because there are a lot of parenthetical verses. And if you don't understand the parenthetical verses, you'll go, you'll read and you'll go, I'm confused. And that's why a lot of people are confused in the book of Revelation. But let me share with you and illustrate what. The book of Revelation is. Starting in chapter six, we see that there are six, there are the sealed judgments upon the earth. Okay? The rapture has taken place, God is setting the stage, and now we see the sealed judgments. John says, he says, I see six sealed judgments, but before we get to the seventh seal, we see what we call a parenthetical verse. You know what do you mean? Well, John takes 17 verses. You would, you would call it, these are out of context, if you will. It's weird how I'm talking about this and, and he does that. Why? Because he takes 17 verses in the midst of describing our sealed judgments. He takes 17 verses to describe the 144,000 Jewish Billy Grams, if you will, that God's going to use in the time of the tribulation. So he's going, seal number one. And we all go, oh, Seal number two, and then right before seal number seven, he goes, oh, by the way, let me tell you about these 144,000, and then he explains in 17 verses. But then think about this, then he goes on and he opens the seventh seal, right? And the seventh seal actually ushers in the trumpet judgments. Before we can get to the seventh trumpet judgment, we have two parenthetical chapters, and what he does is, right before he gets to that seventh uh, trumpet, he goes, Oh, by the way, let me tell you about a little scroll and then the two witnesses that are going to come. You have to understand parenthetical verses. And I think we talk like that a lot, but when we read the book of Revelation, if you don't understand that there's a, there's a parenthesis in between the actual statement, then that's what gets confusing. Wait a minute, we were in the judgments, why are we in 144? Wait a minute. And Paul, today, church, seems to be doing this in chapter 3. The weight, the weight, the weightiness of this verse, one verse, is so impactful on the readers that Paul takes a step back, a pause, and then he begins to think, okay, I need to share why I'm in prison. And so what Paul does very lovingly from Verses 2 to 13, he's going to give us the reason, and that's key, he's going to give them the reason why. The reason why. So, if you're taking notes, Paul is going to explain the ministry, and he's going to explain the mystery of the gospel that was revealed to him by God. And listen, Paul was called to minister to the Gentiles, though i love paul's heart because he'll preach to anyone who would listen can you imagine being chained to paul you got paul duty oh. how how what's my it's 8 hours with paul and and but you know what you'd love listening to paul cuz paul's telling you stuff and he's anointed and you're just like oh no no i'll take a second shift go ahead paul tell us more tell me more and and, and that's what paul would just witness he would just share and I started to think about this, and, and it was just like, man, he would he would just share the gospel to anyone who would listen. Now, I don't think Paul was obnoxious. You understand that. I don't think it was, you know, just that, oh, okay, hitting them over the head with the Bible, and if you don't get saved. I think Paul just had just a special, Paul understood people enough that he would look in their hearts, he would see what they're going through, and then he could explain the gospel to right where they were at. Right where they were at. And he could do this. He could do this. Prior to his calling, however, do you remember Paul? You go, what was that? He was actually persecuting the church as an unbeliever. As an unbeliever. Why is that important? Can I just share something with you? Paul, when he persecuted the church, was very zealous. He was very zealous, he was he was a man, just, ah, Lord, and, and he was persecuting the church, and he sat there with his arms crossed as they stoned Stephen. And then God saved him, and, and, and God changed him, but he changed him in a way where he continued to use his personality, continued to use the gifts that God has given him. And so although you're saved here today, think your personality is exactly what God wants to use for those people around you. That's your mission field. Some of you were a crier before you got saved, and now you're saved and you're a crier, and God uses that. Some of you just talk all the time. You wake up talking, you go to bed talking, and now you're saved, God's going to use that. Some of you are real quiet, you're very introverted, you sit back, you watch, and you go, well, how can God use that? But he does, you understand. So what I'm trying to tell you today, church, listen to me, you're very special. God made you just the way you are for his purpose and his glory. And he saved you with that personality. So don't be ashamed and don't worry about your personality. Be who you are for the glory of God. Can I get a good amen? That's what Paul did. But he also had a great heart. And if we'll dig a little bit deeper... I want to wet your whistle just a little bit. Look at verse 1 with me, guys. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner. Why is that important? Words are important, aren't they? He doesn't say a prisoner. I'm not, I'm just a prisoner. He says, I'm the. Well, the what? The prisoner of of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, Church, listen to me. When we read this, we just read it. Oh, okay, Paul's a prisoner. But but I want you to see. Do you notice that there's a line after Gentiles? Do you see that in your Bibles? There's a line. Okay? Now, it wasn't just like the people who, who you know, interpreted the Scripture from, from the Greek go, I'll just put a line there. It's very, very important. Why? Because it means that there's a pause there. There's a pause. Paul is thinking. He just laid down some heavy tracks on them. He just laid down some, just some weighty, weighty text. He says, hey, hey, guys, for this reason. What reason, Paul? He says, that I'm, a, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, uh, for you guys. And, and now he stops, and he's like, oh, man. Why? Because Paul loves people so much That again, when he laid down some heavy stuff, although it is speaking the truth in love, he still sees their heart and he goes, oh, I need to be careful. I need to be careful because I know they're going to feel bad, right? Wouldn't you, church, listen to me, wouldn't you feel bad that you were the reason that Paul was in prison? Because of you. Well, you'd go, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul says, here's what he's saying in essence. Check it out, guys. Paul says, man, I'm a prisoner. He says, I'm being persecuted. I'm being, I, I'm, I'm suffering for the sake of you Gentiles. You see, here's my ministry. I've been called to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And here's the mystery of the, of the church. Here's the mystery. It's the church. It's the church. Now, we're going to come back to this verse in just a second and unpack it more but for the sake of continuity in these three chapters, let me remind you what we've learned so far okay the book of Ephesians, if you're taking note is a prison epistle it's called a prison epistle. you go what do you mean? Well he actually wrote this letter from prison now again guys think about this while Paul was being he, he was suffering and he was being persecuted and all of this stuff, guys think about it. He's still glorifying God through the letters he's writing. So he's in prison. He's in prison. He wrote this about 60 to 62 AD. And so again, what does he do? He he wants to encourage us today to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus and to serve in unity and love even in the midst of persecution. I find it interesting that as a church, we probably are headed for that. We're headed for Christian persecution. It's already happening, and I think it's going to steamroll. But what I love is the Word of God says, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against the church, we're just going to be persecuted a little bit, a little bit. You don't have to worry. You're still going to be victorious. You're still going to come out smelling wonderful. But there's going to be some things in your life that oh, probably will will be persecuted because of your faith. You know this. Paul says, "I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Regardless of what you have coming in 2024, 2025, 2026, 2030. Regardless of what you have coming." I want you to continue to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I want you to to stay the course. And I want you to serve in unity. I don't want you to be divisive in the church. I want you to serve in unity. And I want you to love in the midst of persecution. In chapters 1 to 3... Paul begins with a joyful truth that every believer has been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Can you believe that? Can you believe even before you even said yes to him, he chose you? And when you said yes, you were like, wow. The Bible says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, what did he do? He predestined us to, to, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. It tells us in verse chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So he's adopted us, guys. He's, he's given us all these spiritual blessings, but it goes on. It says, then he teaches us the unity of believers. That these are truths and blessings that all believers have in common. What's that? The unity of Believers. I would pray that our little church would grow in unity. That we would be stronger together than we are apart. This is what we're talking about. Paul also wrote that Christians are adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. You're part of his family. Do you realize that when you said yes to him, you opened up your heart, you invited him inside, the Bible says that you're now born again, but then now you're adopted into his family. Wow. Wow. So you can say Heavenly Father, or you can call him Abba Father, or you can call him Daddy. How sweet is that? How sweet is that? And I'll tell you why. The other day, I was driving home, And I saw a car that looked like my daughter Talia's car, and it looked like it had been wrecked on the side. Now, there's a lot of cars, same color as hers, and I'm driving home from church, and I looked, and so immediately I texted my daughter, I said, are you home? And she's like, yeah, why? And I said, well, I saw a car that looked like yours, I want to just make sure you were home safe. I mean, and here's what she said, her reply was, ah, daddy, Okay? When Talia wants something, she'll say, Daddy. It's a term of endearment. If she's mad at me, she'll say, Dad. Dad! Knock it off. But if she wants something, Daddy? What are you doing tomorrow, Daddy? What do you want, baby? That's the term of endearment, right? Why? Why does she get to call me daddy? Because that's the relationship we have. And that's the same way he says, guys, listen, you're adopted, and you get to call your heavenly father daddy. And you can run to him and go, daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. Daddy, I'm frightened with things that are happening. Daddy, I'm hurting. Daddy, I have no faith today. He's your dad. He's your heavenly father. The enemy wants to um, work really hard for us to forget that. He wants to paint a picture that you have this mighty God, and yes, he's mighty, and he's he's El Shaddai, and he's he's. But he wants to paint a picture where God's sitting there, mean, with his arms crossed, and he wants to. He's waiting for you to just get out of line so he could beat you with his holy stick. Well, you're my kids! You know, that's not God. And the reason why, church, listen to me, the reason why God disciplines us is because He loves us and He knows the consequences of our life will be just too much for us to handle. That's real love when somebody disciplines you. That's real love. Paul also writes to us last week, if you recall, that all believers are redeemed through his blood. So not only are you part of the family, but you're redeemed through his blood. And you're seated, or you're sealed, forgive me, by the Holy Spirit. So all of these blessings, and what Paul continues to do is to clear up one of the most misconceived and or often ignored subject of this day. And you go, what's that? Salvation by grace. Do you remember what he wrote? He wrote that salvation is by grace of God and that is through faith that no one can contribute to the salvation in any way even with good deeds. He says for grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. Do you realize why you're saved? Do you realize how you're saved? It's through faith. It's through faith. He says, the works are going to come after. Please don't put the cart before the horse. You say, wait a minute, what happens? I need to be born again first. I need to be part of the family. And then I do good works. And then I do the works that are, that are pleasing to the Lord. You see, many people will reverse that. They'll come over here and go, I got to do good works. I just pray and hope that God likes me and loves me. And then when I die, I'm just, Lord, here's my work. And the Lord's like, that's not how we're saved. Well, that blows people's minds because, let me ask you a question, okay? If we're saved by grace through faith, what do we have to do? How are you saved? You go, we don't do anything. You just, I believe. I believe. And that's foreign to us. Because ever since you were little, you've been told, "Hard work, come on, you got to do. If you work hard, you'll get all the perks, and and you'll grow up, and you'll work hard, and then you'll get a supervisor job, and then you'll get, then you'll be the manager, and then you'll do this, and you do this, and one day you'll own the company if you work hard." And so we take that into salvation, and God says, "No, no, no, that's actually reversed. If you just believe, then I'll come into your heart, I'll start to change things up, and then I'll give you a ministry, and then you can walk in those good works." Wow, and that's far better. I'll tell you why. Because if you're over here and you're modifying your behavior and you're trying to work hard with God, how much much good works do you have to do to actually get to heaven? What if you miss it by one? Lord, I had 99 good works and then I had a bad thought and I just... uh, That's not how God is. That's cruel, isn't it? That's cruel. But a lot of people misconceive that verse. Well... And as a result of that teaching, the preaching of the good news to the Gentiles. You understand, right? Do you remember the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles? The Jews thought that the Gentiles were simply created. And and, and let's, let's even fast forward to 2023. You were created for simply to stoke the fires of hell. That's all. Can you imagine? That's the hostility. Now, listen, I understand all the high school rivalries. You know, oh, we're, that's the other side of town, and we always have the right, and there's always hostility between football teams, and they, oh, you know. This was just way deep. Could you imagine today, if this is, we lived back in Paul, and you were a Gentile, and you went over to the grocery store, the Jewish people wouldn't even look at you or acknowledge you or talk to you. How would that make you feel? You're just like, I'm a person. Hello? I'm fleshed just like you. Oh, there he is. Another, another log for hell. There goes another log. That's what they thought. And Paul says, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, here's the mystery. Guess what, guys? Guess what? Ooh. And because of that, Paul was often persecuted And he often suffered for the sake of the gospel. Now, last week, you recall that we talked about being alienated, right, from Israel. But more importantly, being alienated from God because of our sin. And all of us in this room were alienated from God because of sin. But in addition, the people of God were alienated from the Gentiles, but even worse than that, alienation was the resulting in hostility. Hostility between man and God and hostility between Jew and Gentile. You understand that as Paul paints a picture, he's trying to get us to see so many things. And understand, the Greek language is so beautiful, such a a beautiful painted picture. You go, for example, marriage. Do you realize that your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church? So when, when we get married by God... It's a picture to everyone of Christ and the church. You understand? And even we've adopted this a little bit different, but think about the bride coming down the aisle, the groom, the bridegroom waiting for her, and the pastor says, who gives this woman to be married? And the father says, I do. And then the groom does what? He goes down And he gets his bride. That's a picture of the church, the rapture. The father says, is that your bride? And Jesus says, yeah, that's my bride, the church. He says, go get your bride. So everybody in the audience goes, wow, far out. That's what marriage is about. It's a beautiful picture. Well, if you were the enemy of God, what would you want to do? You'd want to attack that beautiful picture to get people confused about the gospel. And so he attacks marriages we have to be careful. We have to be careful. In the same way, the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles with Jesus Christ reconciling both of them was a beautiful picture of us being alienated from God from our sin. And he paints this picture in a practical way and you and I go, wow, that's us. That's us. I once was. But now. And I love the fact, I love the fact that the remedy for alienation is reconciliation. And God, through his son Jesus, reconciled us to him and then transforms us. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. Well, Paul, continuing his same thought pattern, the same theme, begins chapter 3, In the message I'm calling Sacred Secrets. Why? Because today we discover what the Old Testament hinted about. It's the mystery of the gospel. It's the mystery of the gospel. So once again, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, for this reason. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, Gentiles. Now, I want you to feel the weight of this statement. Why? Because he says, for this reason, for this reason, what reason? I am in prison. I'm not in prison to Rome. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm in prison to what? I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. But he says, because I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, you need to understand that in order for news to be really good, it has to invade bad spaces. You understand that. News is not good news unless it comes in and invades bad spaces. Well, what were the bad spaces? You and I were alienated from God. We had no hope. And that's why the gospel is so amazing. Why? Because Paul comes and he says, here's hope. <laughs> you're You're reconciled. You're adopted. God loves you just like he does the Jewish people. And the Gentiles go, because it's so amazing. So in order for news to be good, it has to invade bad spaces. What are the bad spaces? Where we were. What God says about us. Oh, I didn't have any hope. I didn't know who I was. I was drowning. I was drowning. So you understand as a Gentile, you go, And you can understand why the enemy of the gospel, Satan and his demons, wanted to persecute Paul. But Paul remembers, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Although God, the enemy, uses those those flesh and blood to beat me, persecute me. But there's something better. There's something deeper in my heart. Paul, what a great heart. He's writing to the Ephesian Christians from the confinement of a Roman imprisonment. But rather, instead of identifying himself as a prisoner of the Roman government, he goes, eh, that's nothing. He looks beyond this earthly powers and identifies himself as a prisoner of Jesus. Now, I want you to compare your life to Paul's for just a minute. No, I don't want to do that, Pastor. I agree. Why? Because we're not in prison, and yet we complain more than Paul would. Come on, somebody. Come on. Paul says man i this 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 little prison in Rome psh, <laughs> it's nothing, God is so much bigger, yeah Paul, but you're in Rome. it's okay, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. come on, someone, you got to get this. I'm not a prisoner of Rome who who's he a prisoner of Jesus Jesus he's a prisoner of Jesus. you see his imprisonment is because of his service to Christ and is part of his Service to Christ, furthermore, Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ. For what reason? On behalf of the Gentiles. But you've got to love the heart of Paul. Why? Because he's like, I'm not imprisoned to some, some country. I'm not imprisoned to some organization. I'm imprisoned to a person. To a person. Wow. Wow. It's the same for us, church. Listen to me. Okay, it's going to get deep. Why? When you get saved, everybody say saved. When I get saved, you actually become a bondservant. You become a bondservant. You go, what's a bondservant? It's a slave. You're in prison. You're in prison. Well, no, I don't want to be in prison. No, no, no. He says, I'm a bondservant to Jesus, but I've got to unpack it a little more because you'll walk out of here going, I went to Calvary Chapel and they told me I was a slave. That's a weird church. No, 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 no. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He says, we're not, we're not slaves in the traditional way that we've learned about it in history. Guys, this is a free will offering to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm in prison. This Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. See, and, and I love this because if you're here today and you are saved, if you're born again, you are a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take it a little little bit further. Paul says, I, a prisoner who of the, the Lord Jesus, for you Gentiles. What about us at Calvary? Our little church here on 42nd in Boston. We might say at Calvary Chapel Lubbock, we are prisoners of Jesus for you. And then you can underline, what are we prisoners for? We've already agreed, as born-again believers, we're, we're, we're bondservants, but who are we prisoners of? Can I say this? First and foremost, you guys are bondservants. You're prisoners of Jesus for your neighbors. For your neighbors. You see, oftentimes we come in and we go, listen... Show me some houses, and we'll go look at different houses. I "Ah, I don't like this one. Oh, I don't like the way the cabinets are there and everything. But you know that God's working behind the scene, that the house that he picks for you and where you live is exactly where he wants you for the neighborhood. No, it's not. Yeah. It's exactly. You see, at Calvary Chapel, we should be prisoners of Jesus for our neighbors. The question is, are you like Paul, and are you going to your neighbors? Are you inviting them into your home? Are you sharing a meal? Are they seeing who you really are? Or do you have a neighbor where you go, man, I don't even talk to them. I don't like them. Hey, those kids keep throwing the ball over in my yard. I just don't like that. You know? I mean, what kind of neighbor are we? Because we're supposed to be a prisoner of Jesus for our neighbors. What about this? Are you a prisoner... Of Jesus Christ for your relatives. For your relatives. Paul. A prisoner. What about for those that are far from Christ? You see, the emphasis that I want at Calvary Chapel, guys, for this study, is that we go out and we say, Man, I'm burdened for the lost in Lubbock. I'm burdened for my neighbors. I'm burdened for my relatives. I'm burdened for the, the, the clerk at the grocery store. I'm burdened for the sacker coming out asking me what kind of day I'm having. I'm burdened. I want to see people saved. I want to see them living victoriously. Why? Guys, to use a sports analogy, we're not only, the fourth quarter's over. We're in overtime. And the Lord Jesus is pouring out his spirit on us so that we can go out and we can impact. Well, but you see, revival starts with us. It starts with that, that, that burning inside going, God, what can you do with me? What can you do with me, Lord? I'll do, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But if you want to see true revival, church, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to see true revival, draw a circle on the ground, step into that circle and say, God, revive everything in the circle because it's got to start with you. And then once you start and you're on fire, Trust me, people from all around are going to come and watch you burn. Wow. Wow. What's going on? Guys, I'm not asking you to modify your behavior. Well, now we're Christians and I'm going to Calvary, so we have to modify. We're in revival. I'm saying just, just let it out. The Spirit of God that's in you is living waters. And, and you say, man, I'm, oh, why are you doing this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because um, we're prisoners of Jesus Christ. What are you prisoners for? Oh, man, my neighbors, my relatives, those that, are, those that are far from Christ. Whoever God puts in my path, I'm a prisoner for them. What does that mean? Some of us, it means a hug. You might just give somebody a hug. Hey, how you doing? Who are you? The others, you might have to hand a card. Hey, I'd love to invite you to church. Others might go, okay, they're not going to come to church. Maybe I'll take you to a movie. You want to go to a movie? Let's, and, 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 or maybe you just say, hey, listen, do you want to come over for dinner? You want to come over for dinner, and then you come over and you get to know your neighbors and you get to know people, and you say, "Hey," and they start looking at you. Go, man, you're different. You're different. I've lived on this block for 20 years, and nobody's ever invited me over. You're different. Why? Well, I'm a prisoner. No, don't say that. Okay, they'll be like, "What? I'm in jail, right? I'm in prison." No, we love the Lord. You go, well, Ben, what if they're saved? Come on, somebody. What if they're saved? What if they're saved? Because there's a lot of people who claim salvation. Then you go, praise God. I, I, just saw, I just met a brother. I just met a sister. Cool. Cool. Listen to me. Listen. There's one church in Lubbock, Texas. We just happen to meet in different barns. But there's one church. One church. And churches should be getting along pointing people to Jesus. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. Notice at the end of this verse, Paul pauses. You see, becoming a suffering saint for the sake of other people is weighty. Because I just asked you here at this church to become a suffering saint for the sake of others. You, you got that, right? It's waiting. It's waiting. Well, Ben, why would I do such a thing? Why would I do such a thing? Because the Bible tells us, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 5.14, he says, for the love of Christ constrains us. For the love of Christ constrains us. Why would you do that? So you understand, Paul, he's going he's to explain that he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner. He's being, he's being persecuted. He's suffering. And then, and then he goes, for you Gentiles, and then he steps back and he goes, oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I know that would hurt. Let me tell you why. Why it's so weighty for us. And so what he does is he says, I'm going to give you a parenthetical verse, in the next 12 verses uh, is going to fill in the blank in your minds. And this is what Paul would do. Look at verse 2. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that... By revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly already written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me, by the effective working of His power, everybody got that. You're like, huh? <laughs> Listen, when Paul, when God saved Paul, Paul was just smart, wasn't he? It's like, Paul, why can't you just speak English? I mean, it's like, come on, could you break it down for me, Paul? But what Paul does is he goes, okay, let me, let me. Uh, he, he, seven verses, he has the same thought. If you look at it, there's not a period until the end of His power. So he's thinking, okay. And uh, let me read it to you a little bit different. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living. Let's see if we can break it down a little bit for us. Here's what Paul says. He goes, hey, 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 listen. I, okay, Paul, prisoner, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus for you Gentiles. And we go, why? Everybody say why. He says, assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me a special responsibility. Of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Oh, wait a minute, Paul. So God called you specifically. Yes. He says, as a matter of fact, I wrote briefly earlier. I wrote about it, right? God had revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight to the plan regarding Christ. Oh, guys, God did not reveal it in previous generations, because that would be our thought. Well, did, did, did he not reveal this to other generations? He goes, no, he didn't. He says, but now, by his Spirit, he has revealed it to the holy apostles and the prophets. Oh, by the way, this is God's plan. Ready? Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the gospel share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. That is a mic drop. That is a weighty statement. Why? He's going, listen, you guys are equal. You're chosen and loved by God. Wow. He says, both are in part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. By God's grace and a mighty power, I have given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Oh, Paul, that makes my heart feel better. I understand you're still suffering, I understand, but why is Paul saying that he's a prisoner? Tell me, tell me church, why is Paul saying this to them and then taking a parenthetical verse and, and then explaining because what Paul expects us to do is the same thing. He doesn't just go, whoa, good luck Paul, thanks for thanks for being suffering for us, hey, man, I'm going to be saved and I'm going to go stand over here, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved, I'm not going to do anything man. Paul says, no, listen, I'm a prisoner. You're going to be persecuted. There's some suffering, but I want you to do it. Why? For the love of Christ constrains you. Listen to me. Listen. God didn't save you just to save you and have you sit and do nothing. God saved you so he uses you in a mighty way and he's going to use you in your neighborhood and he's going to use you in your school and he's going to use you. And and, and and that's the whole point, man. All the people go, God, use me until he begins to use you and then you feel used. But we want to be used by God. We want to be used by God. We want him to see an incredible work and we want to be used by God. But since we're a Bible-teaching church, let me back up, and let me, let me just share with you a little bit, because Paul refers to, in your Bibles, the New King James, he refers to the dispensation, okay? Now, I just want to give you these. We had seven dispensations. Some people say eight, but I'm going to give them to you so you just understand. And uh, just note this. They're not in the Bible. They're not biblical in the sense, but we've come back, and we've talked about them, okay? Seven special time periods, if you will. That's the dispensation, the first dispensation is found in Genesis one twenty six. It's called the dispensation of innocence. This is before Adam fell. This was, the dispens- this was the time when, man, everything was so good. It was wonderful. Then you had the dispensation of conscience. This is Genesis 2, after that, all the way to 3.19. Then you had the dispensation, the special teachings, the time of human government. This is when God established in chapter 4, 5, and 6. And then you had the dispensation of promise, Genesis 6, all the way to Genesis 9, 8 through 17. And then that went on until you had the dispensation of the law. The law. And that started in Exodus chapter 20. You guys know the law, right? Starts with the Ten Commandments. And then you have the dispensation of grace. That started in Acts chapter 2 with the Holy Spirit. And it's all the way to Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, so if you're taking notes and you don't mind writing, we're in the dispensation of grace. We're in that time frame where God is shedding his grace on people for them to come to know the Lord. It's the dispensation of grace. Well, what happens next? Well, it's the final dispensation, which is the millennial kingdom, the millennial kingdom. So we're not in that dispensation, and that happens in Revelation 20. But, but understand, right now, we're in the dispensation of grace. Now, why do I give these two? Well, I remember, these are man-made. They're looking at time periods. They like, go, okay, they're not in the Bible. But I want you to know these just so you go, oh, okay, okay. So in verses 2 and 3 is revealed the dispensation of grace. Paul is reminding us through persecution and so forth, That it was a stewardship, that's another word for dispensation, but it's a special responsibility Paul had. Paul had. And he had a special responsibility to the Gentiles. God took Paul and taught him face-to-face for three years in Arabia. Do you remember that? When Paul got saved, he said, okay, God took him away. And can you imagine being taught for three years by God himself? And so Paul says, this is exactly what I'm doing And so Paul, in a Roman prison, witnessing to whoever will listen, knows that this is the dispensation of grace. And God knows who's going to be saved and who's not. But here's what I want you to know. In our dispensation of grace, God is inviting everyone to the party. And it's up to the people to go, yeah, I'll take that invite. I'll take that. You see, what happens in, in in our lives before we become a believer, we're sitting and we're listening to these things, and the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the pastor... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's starting to speak to you and you realize, Lord, I'm not right with you. I don't I don't think I have a right relationship with you. And the scales from your eyes start to fall and you go, man, I've got guilt and what am I going to do with this and how do I stand before a holy God? And then the pastor says, hey, in the dispensation of grace, you have an opportunity to surrender. You can say yes to him and immediately your heart jumps out of your chest and you go, that's what I want. And when the pastor says, Hey, how many of you would like to uh, be invited into the family of God? How many of you would like to be saved today, born again to the power, repent of your sins and all of this? Your hand goes straight up and you're looking at it like, whoa, I didn't even know I did that. Because that's the Holy Spirit in you. The thing that scares me is those that go, Oh, I don't know. I still like my life, man. I don't know. I know I need Jesus, but uh you know what? I'm gonna hope that my my religion saves me. I'm gonna hope my religion saves me. I'm gonna hope. I'm gonna hope that what I was, what how I was brought up is gonna save me. I hope that. Or, or you come over here and you go. Oh, I don't know, man. I just. And what a lot of people do is they'll say, Hey, you know what? I'll give my life to the Lord after I get what I want done. Uh, I, 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 Lord, I got you. I got you. I'm coming for you. But uh, not today. Not today. I still got. I got. Huh? There may not be tomorrow. Hmm. So Paul, in a Roman prison, is sitting there and he's preaching to everyone. And he told us that way back in verse 17, didn't he? In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, And he came to preach peace to you who were far off and those who were near. He's basically to the Jews and the Gentiles. He's like, I'll preach to anybody. I'll preach to anybody. Listen to me, church. Moving forward, we we need to sharpen our skills to preach the gospel to people. They are going, They're the same people that lived in Paul's day, the same people that lived in Jesus' day, the same people, they're the same people, they're still hurting and they're broken. And you have the answer. You have the hope. You're not the hope. You have the hope. You, hey, listen, listen, I know exactly what you went through. I know what you're going through now. Can I just share what got me through that? Well, yeah, tell me, what happened? Did you go to special counseling? Did you know something? No, you know what? Listen, I I surrendered my life to Jesus and he came in and he flooded me with peace and, and I can't explain it because it's supernatural, but I'm telling you the truth. My life's different. Well, what do you got to lose? Let's do this. Okay, and you say yes to God. You say yes to God. Next week, next week. Now, we're not done, so hold on. So next week, you're going to see that Paul says, listen, I know that I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to pray for you by name. I'm going to pray for you by name. Not that, not that you would, you know, whatever you're going through specifically, but I'm going to pray that God would strengthen you so that you can be strong to resist temptations and the stuff you're going to. That's what I'm going to pray for. That's what I'm going to pray for. Now, Paul says, I've briefly written this, you know, by which You read. I, do you remember? And you may not understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now here, the mystery here is not, listen to me, the mystery is not that the Gentiles would be blessed. See, so you see, that was already predicted in the Old Testament. But what it is, is that the Jews and Gentiles would be equal heirs in the one body of Christ. This was an unknown to the Old Testament prophecy, and then it's revealed to the New Testament apostles. So this is big, this is huge. Okay, this is social media news break right here. What? What? If you get on your feed today and all your social medias, you would see that, man, It's you, you, you've you got people posting on the Asbury Revival. you got people posting on all kinds of stuff. This would be front page news on every outlet, every social media, your Facebook, your Instagram, all of it would be what? Jews and Gentiles are joint heirs in Christ through to the gospel. Jews and Gentiles, you're invited into the family. You're adopted. You got peace and joy. Wow. And I love what Paul says in verse 6. He says, all of this was God's plan from the beginning. That Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news would share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Yeah, Ben, but God chose Israel. He sure did, but he chose you too. Oh, this is so good. Paul says, of which I became a minister, according to the gift of grace God has given me to the effective working of his power. I just want you to circle something real quick here. Paul says, I became an effective minister. I want you to circle that word in your Bible, and you go, why? Because the Greek word used here is diakonos, and it's the English word deacon. Paul often uses this term to describe himself and his co-workers, you ready, as servants. As servants or ministers. Paul says, Ben, you know what? I'm a servant. I would become a servant according to the gift of grace. Pastor Ben, how did you become a pastor? I became a servant. I became a servant. It's not something that you would choose for yourself. It's something that the Holy Spirit of God calls you to. I don't think any man in his right mind would want to be a pastor in and of the flesh. I don't think any man would want to go, yeah, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a shepherd of the sheep and be um, attacked all the time. I don't want to be a shepherd and have to deal with people. Oh my gosh, you know. Life seems so much easier, but when God calls you to it, this is what he says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. But in God's economy, he does something so amazing. You go, what's that? He says, I'm going to prepare a shepherd who is the servant, but then he's going to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you see, in a lot of churches, we have it backwards. Well, pastor, we pay you. You should go to the hospital, and you should do this, and you should do that. And how come you're not doing this? Well, that's not how God wants it. God says, I want to equip you. I'm going to teach you the Bible so that you can do the work of the ministry because it's far more effective if all of us do the work. You mean I can go to the hospital and pray for people? Yeah. Wait, what? I didn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You're all servants. You're all servants. But Paul's still in his parenthetical uh, thought. So look at verse 8. He says, To me, I am less than all of the saints. This grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles. What should I preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is teaching us that the grace of God is available to all of mankind's, Israel's hope for the Messiah. He says it's available. And he says, in matter of fact, I am, and this is Paul. This is the apostle. I am least of all the saints. Why? Well, Paul considers himself to be least, and he had been persecuting the church prior to his coming to Christ. He goes, man, I've, I've blown it. I've blown it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Paul saying, I am the least of all the saints? How would you like to come to my house tonight, and we're going to play Bible trivia, and the Apostle Paul is on the opposing team? What do you mean you're the least of all the saints? No, no, no. See, that's his heart attitude. His heart attitude is like, look, I'm just doing what God has called me to do. And we miss it sometimes, church. We miss it. Sometimes we go, yeah, you know what? Hmm." No, we're going to walk in humility. What, What are we preaching? What are we preaching to our neighbors and to our relatives and to those that are far from Christ? The unsearchable riches of Christ. What does it mean? It refers to the blessings made available through Christ. Now, wouldn't you want to share that? Let me share the blessings that you have in God. Let me share the blessings you have in God. Look at verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. All Paul is saying here, he says, Man, I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. He says, He said, I'm just, this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to share with you. Guess what? This is who you are. This is what God is doing in your life. This is what you're doing. And hence the title, Sacred Secrets, right? God has kept it secret up until now. And you and I are walking in this. And he's coming to his conclusion by teaching us that the ministry, check this out, you ready? Would even bring the angels to see the magnificent wisdom of God and his plan for the church. Do you realize there's a couple of things that happens when you get saved? Number one, the Bible says that all the angels rejoice. Wow, there's a party in heaven when you, when you say yes to Jesus. But they're looking at your life going, No way, God, seriously? You're going to say, Oh, wonder what that's like. I wonder what what that's like. Wow. And they're blown away by God's plan. They're, They're just like, Lord, your wisdom is amazing. Your wisdom is amazing. Let me step back here. Isn't that true in our lives? You go, What do you mean? Can I tell you the greatest miracle and the greatest, the, the, the greatest magnificent wisdom of God is when He saved you? And, and the angels are like, No, you saved Jeremiah? No way. I know that dude. God, you're crazy. This is awesome. How, how'd you do it? And through the power, He's just like, Man, what a great plan! What a great plan. Every one of us. And guess what? The angels, not only are they like blown away by that, they start to rejoice. And you know what we do when somebody gets saved? Oh, I hope it takes. I don't think so. I know him. That's what we do, church. We should be the loudest I'll tell you what we do. When somebody gets saved right here, we're gonna have a Gatorade thing right here, and we're just gonna throw it on them too. Okay? We're also gonna jump and be like, "Yeah, you did it!" Okay? Anybody gets saved at Calvary Chapel is gonna get Gatorade thrown on them right here. Wouldn't that be cool? But we don't. We go, "Oh, amen, praise God, yeah." And come on, church, be honest. Sometimes we think, "Well, I hope it takes. I hope he's really saved. It's a work of God." And you know what we should do? It's the same thing you do when your friend or daughter or daughter-in-law gives birth to a baby. What? No way! What? She had her baby. Oh, what was it? It was a boy. Oh, and not, guys are not like this, but girls are like, like, well, 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 how big and how many inches and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. It was a baby. Yes! But you tell a woman, she's like, 7 pounds, 14 ounces, she had this, and blah, 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 blah. We do that in a natural way. We should do that in the spiritual way, don't you think? Hence the board. We need to celebrate when people say yes to Christ. It's a big deal. It's your spiritual birthday. It's like, yes, yes. We should do that. Now, we're not going to dump Gator in your head, so... But I just think it's a it's a really neat thing because that's exactly what's happening in the heavenlies. They're just going, Yes, Lord. Church, moving forward, the purpose of this book is for you and I to do what God has called us to do, to understand who we are and how beautiful He sees us, so that we can extend that grace to others and we could win people that are far from Christ back to Him. That's our goal. Our job, you ready? Is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. And have a party in between as people get saved. Why? Why do you want people to get saved? Because we're not selfish. We want to share heaven with everyone. Brother Joe, what's one thing better than going to heaven? Taking somebody with you. That's right. Taking somebody with you. Okay, we're going to close, but I don't want you to close your Bible because we're going to close with the last two verses, okay? I don't want to hear zippers. I don't want to hear that. Still wanting to explain the way to verse 1. Look at verse 11. According to the, ex- the internal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, and do not lose heart in my tribulation for you, which is in your glory. Guys, do you see this? Do you see this? Number one, this was his eternal plan that he's going to accomplish through Jesus. So when we say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, guys, it's far more than, okay, well, God sent his son, that's the God. No, no, no. He had this amazing plan. And because of Christ and our faith in him, you and I can now come boldly and confidently into his presence. Hi, Dad. What are we doing today? Oh, Ben, I've got a great day for you. Really? Yeah. You're gonna go over to Market Street, unbeknownst to you, you're just gonna do your shopping. But I've got somebody that I want you to meet there, and I want you to just just share a smile, share the gospel, hand them a card, whatever you want to do. But I've got a plan for you. Wow, far out, Lord. Far out. You know what? One of your friends at school is gonna be bummed. They're gonna have a they're gonna they're gonna have a really bad grade and they're just gonna need you to be their friend. Okay, Lord, let's do it. Let's do it. You see, guys, spirituality is far more than just even just like I said, it's a, it's lending it's a, it's a hug, it's a smile, it's sharing a cup of coffee. It's encouraging people. It's loving them. When all the world doesn't love them or when they feel unlovable. Come on, that's good preaching. Come on. Now, once again, Paul with such loving heart tells his readers Guys, don't lose heart because of my trials. Don't lose heart because I'm in this Roman prison. He says, I'm suffering. I'm suffering for you, and you should feel honored. Wow, Paul. Wow. Wow. Do you remember this little story? Paul, you can make your way up here too. Do you remember this story? It's found in Acts chapter 14, and I want to share it with you. Now knowing what you know, in Paul's heart towards people, check this out. In Acts 14, 19, it says, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. Do you see that? And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day, He departed with Barnabas to Derby. Your attention, please. Paul's preaching the gospel. He's sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. He's telling them the riches they have in Christ. He's, he's blowing their mind. The angels are like freaked out. You know what they do? They stone him. You understand. They take big rocks. They push Paul off a cliff and they throw rocks at him and they look at him. He's not breathing. They drag him out of the city. That'll teach you to preach the gospel, dude. (laughs) What does Paul do? The love of Christ constrains me. What does Paul do? Look at the disciples. Paul, Paul, are you okay? He's got blood everywhere. It's caked on. He's swollen. You know, he's like, Rock, I can't see." You know, he's that. He's that that thing. And if it was me, I'd say, "Shine, you guys. I'm out. You don't want the gospel. Psh, I'll go somewhere else." Not Paul. Paul says, oh, I understand this. I get it. I understand Ephesians. So I'm going to go back into that city. What? I love that. Why? My question to you, church, is why would Paul go back into a city that stoned him and left him for dead? Because Paul reminds us the tremendous impact of this sacred secret. And it so possessed his own life and his own ministry that Paul says, for this reason. I, Calvary Chapel, insert your name there, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ to Lubbock, Texas. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, but they're going to persecute you. I'm a prisoner of Jesus, and the good news is so amazing. Why can you do that? How can you do that? Let me say this, because your salvation is already secure in heaven. Your place in heaven is already secure. All you have to do is take somebody with you. And you know how it's done? You ready? It's done by love. Love wins people back to Jesus. You don't condone their sin or approve of their sin. You go, yeah, I love you. Go ahead and go do that. No, you go, hey, I love you enough to tell you not to. But I'd love you to walk. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you say? I love you enough to walk with you through this. Well, yeah, but it's going to be inconvenient for you, isn't it? You're worth it. You're worth it. Why? Because now Jeremiah saved. Lisset saved. saved. Abel saved now those guys are going to take the gospel to the tech campus. And then the people they minister are going to get saved. And they're going to take the gospel. And God goes, that's my plan. Though I got chills. Look at that. Ooh, that's how God does this. But not only the college kids, but at your jobs. Or if you don't have a job and you're retired, God still has many open doors for you. But you've got to walk in them. Can I, just, can I just tell you, encourage you, God saved you, not just to save you, so you could sit in these blue seats and go, okay, cool. God saved you so that we could reach Love of Texas, Slayton, we can reach Leveland, whatever we're at, we can reach him for his glory. Because time's running out. And we have to band together to get the gospel out. My salvation's secure. Paul tells me in Ephesians, it's secure. I just need to do what he's called me to do. Lord, here I am. Here I am. Let's go, let's go. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word, Lord. We thank you so much for your for just uh, speaking to us. And Lord, again, it wasn't, um, Lord, it wasn't uh, we're us just reading the scripture, but it was the scripture reading us. And so, God, our emphasis, our focus in this little church is to glorify you, to win people, to be to be uh, the Pauls and the Peters and and all the apostles, Lord, to go out and be and just to be um, soul-winning Christians. But it often starts right here, Lord. And maybe today, with every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe here today you came and, and uh, you came to church and you're sitting here and you're going, hey, um, Pastor, you were saying some things, and, and you know what? It really reminded me, seriously, that I don't have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe today reminded you that you have backslidden from Christ. You see, nobody pushed you back. You didn't jump back. You slid back into a place where you're not a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You're you're backslidden. But maybe today, ah, the Holy Spirit knocks on your heart. He says, hey, listen, I'm not mad at you. I'm madly in love with you. Come on back home. Come on home. I've got you. Come on. But you have to make that response. And so I want to offer an invitation today. Maybe you're here today. God brought you here for a reason. And maybe, you're, maybe you just need to say, yeah, Pastor, I need, a, I need a defining moment. I need to surrender my life to you. I've, I've been running from, from God for a long time. I've been running from him for years. But, but today, I, I just, uh, yeah, I want all that he has for me. I want to give you an opportunity. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would tell, Pastor, pray for me. I am going to lift my hand in obedience to God, but would you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to God. I want to, once and for all, surrender my heart to you. And if you lift up your hand, you're probably thinking, Pastor, why do I have to lift up my hand? People are going to see. Nobody's going to see, but I want God to see your heart. I want him to see how serious you are. Well, then why do I have to lift my hand? Again, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to see you. I'll acknowledge you, and I'll pray for you. I will pray that God would continue to strengthen you in your commitment to Him. Well, Pastor, what if everybody in here is saved? And I say, hallelujah, man, we've got a lot of work to do. But it's up to you. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, just offering you an invitation, how many of you this morning would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus to come into my heart. I want to be saved. Would you lift up your hand right now? This is between you and the Lord, nobody watching. I just want to acknowledge you. Don't play around with God. This is your time for him. This is you saying your commitment to him. You can just lift up your hand right now. If you're far from God and you want to come home, he stands with his arms open wide. Just going to give you a minute. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your great love. Father, we know you're still working. But my prayer, God, is that nobody would go through those brown doors that is not saved. God, that they would know that their eternal home is with you. Please, Lord, don't allow anyone in here to be separated from you. Help us to commit our lives to you. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're watching online or you're listening by radio and you raised your hand and I can't see, would you just... Call the church, reach out via email, whatever it is. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to just visit with you and uh, offer you some encouragement and get you a Bible and a Bible study guide. We love you guys. Let's worship the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.